Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and from the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, today is Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to those out there who celebrate that. But I also recognize Father's Day, uh, is, it's a different holiday for some, right? Mother's Day, we had it's kind of, you know, lovey-dovey. But Father's Day it can be tough because sometimes uh, there are those who, who have tough relationships with their fathers. Perhaps it's distance, perhaps uh, it's more stern. I mean, even straight down to abuse. And I know I've had people come to me and say, you know, I really struggle with the idea of God the Father because anything that I know about a father, I don't want anything to do with. And I, I'm sensitive to that. So I figured for today, just real quick, uh, I'll, I'll celebrate the same way that I celebrate Mother's Day by sharing a little advice from one of my parents, what I was taught from my dad. So just real quick, a um, couple of words of advice from my dad. He shared, stand up for what you believe in, right? He, when I was in high school, especially a senior in high school, I was playing high school football and I was struggling with some of my teammates, uh, trying to call out their, their behavior, specifically like hazing some of the younger players, um, and their behavior off, off the field that was, uh, was, was troublesome. And in the end, I realized that the strongest statement I could make was, was leaving the team. And he supported me. He said, you're standing up for what you believe in, and I'm proud of you for that. The second thing that he taught me was sometimes you need to drink the juice. Let me explain. So my dad went through a phase where he had a juicer and he would make all these strange concoctions with spinach and kale and wheatgrass and whatnot. And he'd wake me up in the morning with like this frothy glass of green and he'd be like, here, you should drink this. And I did not want to drink it at all, right? But he taught me sometimes it's good for you. You got to drink the juice. And, and that might mean that it might also mean having a tough conversation. And yeah, sometimes it did mean drinking something that tasted like the underside of a lawnmower, but sometimes you just got to swallow and drink the juice, right? Because it's good for you. And then the other thing that, that really stands out, he was always talking about Tony Dungy's book, Quiet Strength. Uh, that idea that quiet strength is you have been tested, you have overcome, but you don't feel the need to boast about your successes. It's about humility. And so those are the things that, that my dad taught me. Dad, if you're watching online, thank you, love you, happy Father's Day. With that said, let's go to God in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this chance to, to be here. Lord, help us to be here. Lord, I thank you for the chance to share your message. And Lord, let it be your message. Lord, I am nothing compared to you. And so I submit myself to you, to your Holy Spirit, to speak to me and through me. And I pray that we would all be willing to do the same. In your name we pray. Amen. Again, special welcome to those of you joining online. Our main text for today is going to be that gospel reading. That idea of the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, sitting here in 2023, that might seem like a strange statement to make. The harvest is plentiful. Don't we hear all these doomsday statistics about the church, about the sustainability of the next generation? And I could throw them all at you. I've got a couple here. Uh, back in uh, 2020, they found that Gen Z, which is basically 25 years old and younger, 34% of them said that they are religiously unaffiliated. They are what's called the nuns. In other words, uh, what religious body are you part of? And they responded, none. 34% said that. Here in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, we are demographically the oldest religious body in America by age. 
that's concerning. And you look and say, well, is the harvest really plentiful if that's the case? Yeah. However, in 2021, a group called Springtide Research Institution found that 49% of Gen Z believe in a higher spiritual power. And more than half of them reported that even if they weren't part of an organized religious institution, they regularly practice what they consider to be spiritual practices. And that includes prayer and reading scripture. And so there is a thirst among that younger generation for something bigger than themselves, searching for truth, for meaning, for purpose. And the church has an opportunity to enter in and have that conversation with them. It may look a little different, but it's still worthwhile. We still have that chance. See, there's something that I've talked about in sermons before called deconstruction. And deconstruction, it's kind of a buzzword right now, but it's basically the idea of getting something down to the core value of what it is, right? You can, if you had a, a Cuban sandwich and you did had a deconstructed Cuban sandwich, maybe you'd have a little pile of, of shredded mojo pork and a nice piece of ham, maybe some like mustard relish over top or something. You'd have all the elements of a Cuban sandwich, but it's not a sandwich like you've ever seen it, Right? When it comes to deconstructing Christianity, it comes down to asking, okay, what do I really believe? What does the Bible teach? What are the core things that make Christianity Christianity? What does Jesus teach, right? Because if we get the chance to learn directly from God, we should listen. But with that comes also asking, well, what are the extra things that have been added on over the centuries from the church? me worshiping Christ, me following the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth really has nothing to do with what I wear, has nothing to do with some of the other things that have become trappings within the church. And so what ends up happening through this process of deconstructing, unfortunately, is they find themselves walking away, not necessarily from God, but from the church, which is logical, right? If you're taking away the extra bits that someone added, it's hard to be part of that institution that added those extra bits, right? And you may think, well, this is, this is terrible. This is awful of them to do. Well, let's be honest. Martin Luther did deconstruction. Martin Luther looked at the Catholic Church and said, you know what? There are a lot of things that you guys have added here that aren't part of Scripture, that aren't part of Romans that we just read from. And he said, hey, we got to get back to the core of this. Sola Scriptura, sola gratia, sola fide. It's all about grace and faith as we learn from Scripture, Right? He essentially deconstructed, and that's how we got the Protestant church. God will stand up to the test. It's okay to ask the question, right? The harvest is there. There's still the opportunity to connect with the next generation and make the church more sustainable. It's, it's not all about the next generation. Of course, uh, this is something that all generations go through. Now, maybe you're thinking, listen, uh, I see all these churches and the denominations, and they're having these big theological debates about this and that and the minutia, and that's part of the issue. But you're thinking, the workers are few. I'm not, I'm not trained in any of that. Well, that's a misunderstanding of that idea of workers, right? We heard in our reading it was translated as laborers. That's a better translation. Keep in mind what Jesus is talking about here, because the narrative follows right after this, uh, talking about the disciples. So people assume that this is talking about professional ministers, this scripture has actually been read at seminary graduations and ordinations, but, but what Jesus is talking about are field workers, laborers, the everybody, every man kind of thing. He's talking about you guys, all y'all, 
Because I can preach until I'm blue in the face, but if ain't nobody listening, it's, it's pointless. It's vanity. So Jesus is saying the workers, the people who can step up and share the message of grace are few. He's empowering you to go and proclaim this message of hope, this message of compassion from his teaching, right? Now perhaps you're sitting here and you're thinking, okay, this is all well and good. Maybe you heard some statistics and your eyes started to glaze over a little bit. You're like, oh, numbers. Oh, I, didn't, I, was, I was told there was no math in this thing, right? I feel you. I feel you. Sometimes you don't need a logos argument. You need more of a pathos argument. So I'm going to share a story. And I'll be honest, every single time that I have practiced this story, and even in the early service, I get teared up. So here we go. A couple of years ago, uh, Cassie and I led a uh, youth mission trip to New Orleans, uh, a bunch of middle schoolers and high schoolers. And then we had 20 or so of them. And uh, we did a number of things throughout the city. And one of the things we did was we went to a dog shelter. And um, our, our job, you know, we helped clean up and stuff, but ultimately our job, they gave each of us a leash and we were to take these dogs out into the yard and, and just basically let them have a good time, let them interact with humans, let them enjoy themselves, stretch their legs. Like they, they had a pretty rough go of it there in the shelter, but at least we could give them one good day, right? And so, you know, we had the kids and we were going through and, and like is the case in a lot of shelters, it was mostly pit bulls. Um, and, and some of them had little tags on their thing that said that this one's a bite risk, maybe the kids don't interact with this one. But so many of them were, like, like pit bulls do where they smile, you know? They're just grinning ear to ear, and they're, they're wait, shagging, shaking their tail so hard, their whole body's shaking, you know, and they're just exuding excitement that somebody is coming to say hi. And we would take them out there, and we'd, we'd throw the ball for them and have a good time. And after a while, uh, the staff came over to me in particular, and they said, hey, you're really good with the dogs. And I was like, yeah, I, I got dogs at home. And they're like, well, we have a, a troubled dog. Could you help us with that? I'm like, I'm about to go meet, like, Hercules Destroyer of Worlds, right? Like, okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> but they led me into one of their offices, and they're sitting in the corner underneath the desk, tucked as far back as possible, was this little, small, fluffy black dog. Uh, and it was just trembling. And they said, we have been trying for a week to get this dog to come out, to eat, to drink. And she's so scared because there's all these big dogs around, and we think that, that she was probably abused where she came from. Um, and they said, if you can connect with her, that maybe she stands a chance of getting adopted. And so I went in there and I sat down and like tried to catch her eye and she was terrified, just absolutely terrified. And so I tried to get kind of closer and she tried to back up. So I ended up laying down and I just waited. I just laid there and waited. And, and after about 15 minutes, she lifted up her head and uh, started sniffing the air and becoming a little more curious. And she slowly moved closer. And eventually she caught right up to my side and sat down by my side. And I, I reached over and put my hand on her back and I could feel all the muscles tense. And she wanted to run, but I just started petting her. And um, she relaxed. And she finally fell asleep. And as I'm sitting there petting this dog, showing her love for who knows how long it had been. Uh, I, I started crying and I looked up and the whole staff was looking through the window and they were all just bawling. And, and I, I pet her and I realized she just wanted to be loved. 
without being hurt. She just wanted to know that she was worthy of love. And I think about all those dogs there and how you'd walk down the aisle and they would all be trying their hardest to get your attention and show that they are worthy of love. And I got to tell you, if we had not been on day three of a 10-day mission trip in New Orleans with a bunch of middle schoolers, that dog would be asleep on my pillow right now. But I just prayed and I prayed that somebody would, would show her love. And I realized that's how God looks at us. God looks at us desperately trying to get love from the world. Desperately trying to show that we are worthy of love. And it breaks his heart. Just like it broke my heart to see that the word that's used there for compassion is splachnae. It's a terrible word. It means the bowels. The compassion he felt in his very core. Seeing the people and how they were hurting, seeing how they were neglected, seeing how they were overlooked, his heart broke for them. And we, the church, should be a place where people can come and know that they are loved. My hope is to make Christ's memorial a place of compassion and healing, but the reality is we're going to fail. We're still a human organization with org charts and legal requirements. We're going to fail. But in the end of the day, what matters if, if we're able to help people connect with God, that matters more than anything else. We can talk about this big goal of having 250 people in worship by the end of 2025. That is merely a measure of health. If we fall woefully short of that, but we help to connect people to God, it's all worth it. If we help people to understand what it means to be loved. Again, I go back to that shelter and the dogs that just want to be loved, and I'm reminded that Christ came to break us free. Christ came to fling open those doors to set us free from the captivity to sin, to set us free from captivity to this world, that we don't have to please the people around us because God cares. God cares about you. God cares about the widow who does her best to keep things together when she's around people, but then she goes back to her apartment and cries because she's so lonely. God cares about the dad who is doing everything he can to keep food on the table and is working multiple jobs and doing what he can to provide for his family. God cares for the teenager who sits and sings the songs, but in her heart is saying, I don't know if I believe this and I'm afraid to ask the questions. God cares. That's who our God is. His heart breaks for his people. And we get the opportunity to know that hope, to share that hope, to share that love with the world. We have been set free. May we respond to that harvest. May we be the workers going out into the field because there are people who need to know. They need to know that this world is nothing compared to the love that God offers. So my brothers and sisters in Christ, as we are united by our faith, may our heart breaks for what breaks God's heart. 
May our compassion be for the people in our midst. May we not just overlook the fact that there is the proverbial shelter in our midst. That there are people crying out for love. Help us to share that. Let's get out of the way and let God do the work. That is the power of the church. That is the mission of the church. That is what we are called to do. And maybe you're sitting here today and you're one of the people that feels like you're in the crate. Whether you are smiling and wagging your tail as hard as you can so that somebody might love you, or there's a tag on your door that says, this one has a story and is a bite risk. God loves you. For God so loved you. Not y'all, not all y'all, you, the individual, that he gave his only son so that you may not perish, but have everlasting life. May we cling to that hope. May we share that hope. May we let that hope guide us out into the fields so that we may help with the harvest. God loves you. God loves this world. Let's let him know. Amen. Amen.